For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. My number one album, big shocker to me, also folklore. Whoa. Are you ready to dive into all things Taylor Swift? Good for a weekend is the ultimate podcast for any Swifty. With new episodes dropping bi-monthly, as well as bonus episodes to give you real-time reactions to the latest rumors and news, it's your one-stop shop for all things T-Swift. We also love connecting with our fellow Weekenders, so be sure to connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, and or Discord to share all your Taylor thoughts. Good for a weekend is available wherever you get your podcasts. I know. Of course, just is like, it's a perfect album. Consequence Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to The Spark Parade, where I geek out with artists and entertainers about their cultural spark of inspiration. I'm Adam Unz at Spark Parade on all social media. Thanks ever so much for joining me. My guest today is singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist Adrian Galvin, a.k.a. Yolklore, who spoke to me about his spark, Neil Stevenson's highly influential and prophetic science fiction novel, Snow Crash. This is quite a wide-ranging chat. Uh, there's a lot about techno-futurism and cyberpunk. A little bit about religion and its influence. A little bit about political influence. Tons of ground covered. So buckle up, baby. Uh, let's get cracking. Quick Yolklore facts. New York-born Adrian Galvin, better known as Yolklore, is a singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, dancer, and visual artist. He released his first Yolklore EP in 2016 and has since released five others, played South by Southwest and toured internationally, and secured a dedicated and ever-growing fanbase. Yolklore's debut full-length album, Toward a Never-Ending New Beginning, is out this Friday, September 22nd, 2023. Quick Snow Crash facts. Snow Crash is a 1992 cyberpunk novel by Neil Stevenson. As well as being credited as a foundational text in the cyberpunk genre, Snow Crash was nominated for the Locus Award for Best Science Fiction Novel and the Arthur C. Clarke Award. The book is renowned for its accurate technological predictions, including the concept of the metaverse. In Snow Crash's reality, a man named Hero Protagonist delivers pizza for Uncle Enzo's Cosa Nostra Pizza Incorporated. But in the metaverse, he's a warrior prince. Plunging headlong into the enigma of a new computer virus that's striking down hackers everywhere, he races along neon-lit streets on a search-and-destroy mission for the shadowy virtual villain threatening to bring about Infocalypse. Infocalypse. Calypse? Who's to say? Let's not dwell on such things. Instead, let's focus on the task at hand. Here comes my chat with Yolklore about Snow Crash. Do you remember being turned on to this book, reading it for the first time, any of that stuff? So I am really into this writer named Tom Robbins. And he's where I learn all of my cool ideas. There are just a couple 
people throughout history that are just like, you know, tragically and heroically hip. And um, I've learned about all of the cool things I know about through this one writer, Tom Robbins. And he like doesn't like go into detail about this stuff. It's just like casual. He like has novels and they're wild. And he like drops little kind of like sidelines about cool things from time to time. I learned about this awesome 13th century Zen monk named Ikuyu, who is this like blind Zen master who wrote all this incredible erotic poetry about his blind wife. He, just, he knows about all these incredible characters throughout history. He also talks a lot about, not a lot, but he talks about cyberpunk. He kind of like, I guess was like around for the beginning of it all. And I think I, the first cyberpunk novel I read was um, a book called Neuromancer by William Gibson. Amazing, amazing book. But I'm really, I guess, interested in the Uncharted. And cyberpunk was like kind of an era that was totally open. You know, it felt like totally kind of lawless and like the beginnings of the internet were uh, mysterious and felt like really invigorating, I think, to to certain explorers. And being that I feel like an explorer myself of emotions and of transitions and of different ways to to talk and express things, then um, I really could kind of see myself as one of these, what does he call it, like cyber cowboys. Except I'm like an emotional cowboy. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think Neuromancer is like the Bible of cyberpunk. So uh, that's a good place to start. But yeah, the whole genre has so much fascinating stuff to it. But I guess talking about all of those different influences, Snow Crash is this kind of confluence of all of those different things like you know mythology and spirituality and the origins of language and all that kind of stuff but also the tech side of things and futurism and yeah uh just combining all of these very complex ideas that run off in a million different directions into this action-packed sci-fi story as well so yeah it's pretty cool so i've always been interested in mythology how things yeah fit into a larger sometimes human, sometimes divine pantheon. I've probably read just about everything Joseph Campbell's ever ever written. I I I've read just about every sacred text there is to 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 read. I think music writing and and being an artist in general is really about how to distill these like really really big questions that humans come with and how to make them. Uh, personal and how to make your lives better with them. I think that's just, that's, I think that's a big thing with sci-fi and cyberpunk. I see that same framework of taking these really, really massive concepts and massive ideas and making them uh, personal stories. Yeah. And also, I think the thing that is very unique in terms of fiction is that it's not just distilling complex ideas and talking about human nature and what it means to be alive and part of a community and in tune with the world around you and theoretical concepts that are beyond what humans can know. All of that stuff, plus this predictive futurist stuff that is really fucking accurate. And actually, it isn't just predicting things. It's developing. It's like the foundation of some of the technologies that we use right now which is crazy. Yeah, I mean, 
I don't like to talk about it, but I know Mark Zuckerberg's a huge like cyberpunk nerd. I know for a fact him and Elon have both like read this book like a million times. And no matter how much I disagree with them, it is like a um I don't know where where these like cyberpunk guys got these ideas, but they literally conceptually invented the internet and how we are going to interact with this meta space. And it, it really like predictably provided the groundwork for how people are going to behave too. And in all these books, it gets pretty, pretty violent, pretty fast, you know, and it's, it's not wrong. It's how it went. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've listened to interviews with Neil Stevenson. I mean, for people who are listening, you know, he coined the phrase metaverse. He popularized the use of the word avatar in the context that we all use it. So he was, you know, at the forefront and just a link from a linguistic point of view, but also he was involved with the major tech companies and the development of really uh, amazing technology. You know, he was employee number one at Blue Sky, you know, uh, Jeff Bezos's space exploration company. And he's founded another company last year that's like, you know, laying the foundations for his own version of metaverse and in addition to being a writer, is like a scientist, came from a family of scientists, studied, I think he, his degree was in biology, biology, chemistry, who knows, our science, let's say, but an incredibly complex guy. And again, infusing all of these very uh, advanced concepts into this novel that is like funny and fighting. Yeah, like told from the perspective of a teenage girl, it's really progressive in like, Pretty much every way I can think of. Yeah. And then, like, the, I think the stuff that really blew my mind and, and always, you know, blows my mind about cyberpunk and you know, William Gibson and Neil Stevenson and all these guys, they find a way to make this futuristic, dystopic future, like, of this world, they kind of, like, make it talk to the past in a really wonderful way. Now, one of these books doesn't have some kind of, like, historical education going on the whole time it doesn't only tell you like where we are it tells you like how we got there and that's like a really interesting i, I used to read a lot of german philosophy and in you know in german philosophy it basically starts with aristotle and you have to prove how you got to where you are now from aristotle through kant and through descartes and up through schleiermacher and schopenhauer and then you can say what you want to say but you have to kind of like take the reader on a journey so they can like understand what the hell you're talking about i really love that with this uh with how he deals with this like sumerian language code stuff because it's such a primitive understanding of language but at the same time it goes so far beyond what we the limits we put on it nowadays you know and you know in like combining the history of language the the real history of language with mythology you know the tower of babel and those kinds of things that are using it as an explanation for like why this virus that's infecting hackers in the metaverse and people in real life through a drug or through infected blood and all of the complications that come with that thinking of the idea of language being a virus or that um just you know the idea of 
uh, how drugs relate to people's perception of uh, their own world and their own reality. It honestly feels like art to me. You know, I mean, we as as writers, you kind of have to be okay with the with like the real fact that words are magic spells, and that you're constantly casting and hexing and blessing and whatever else you're doing. But to be kind of conscious of that is to be a writer and to kind of be trying to do something with those magic spells or be trying to influence someone or group of someone or something. Like I, I constantly come back to the idea that I'm brainwashing people in like a good way. I'm trying to like give them wonderful stories about love and the struggle for self-reflection. I think you can create the world with the things you put into it. And I'm interested in creating a world that's aware of itself and uh, it's, that wants to tell itself stories of beauty. But it forces like a constant remembrance and a constant like persistence. And it's hard when you're just going around your day like speaking words and like fighting with people and like, you know, trying to own someone on Twitter and stuff. It's just like, you know, it gets away from us. And this book is such a cool and just like important reminder that like language is ridiculously powerful and there are so many ways that you can use it to your advantage and so many ways that you can be controlled by it and there's so many ways that you can kind of use it to your detriment yeah and that was another thing in a different interview that i read with neil stevenson who's saying that a lot of people especially in the last 10 years have said to him it feels like you predicted social media because of the way that um, you know the concept of like uh, viral uh, stuff on the internet. He, he said, you know, like I wasn't thinking about memes. I wasn't thinking about the social uh, about social media in the way that it exists now. But that since uh, you know Donald Trump got elected, he feels like the way that the internet has evolved for the worse is a reflection of the kind of stuff that he was talking about, and that it was like. A manifestation of that in a way that he hadn't expected or predicted, but that he feels like it's very close, that it's like the power of words transmitting globally so rapidly that ideas can fly out of control without anyone ever checking to see if they're valid, if they are true. And yeah, all, all of that stuff, um, talking about the power of language, both positively and negatively that, you know, it's, uh, this extremely powerful tool that everyone has um it's just kind of about the way that you use it yeah there are people who have really figured that out and it's like not always the best people <laughs> like there's like a i used to and this isn't like a bad but i used to like go to church a lot with my dad when i was little and there is this gravity to being in a a, a huge vaulted room where there's a bunch of dudes in white robes singing in latin there are candles lit they're not idiots you know like they they know what the what they're doing exactly and it's an ancient technique that they've been doing forever to create this kind of uh majesty you know i feel like more people gotta figure that out <laughs> like that there that you can really set up the conditions for someone to have a particular experience, you know? And that really is the job of an artist to kind of uh, set up the conditions for someone to have an epiphany about themselves or the world or to have an insight that they didn't 
they didn't have access to before or something. And these days it's, 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 you know, it's dangerous because people are using it for not great things. You know, in politics right now, like rhetoric has taken over completely. It's like no longer like what policy is or like even like the kind of political party. It's just like people are trying to like own each other and like their identity rhetoric has become the moving force, it seems like. And yeah, we're just like coming up to a lot of areas of our culture that are being more controlled by these ideas. And we're not kind of understanding that so much. Not enough people have read Neil Stevenson, obviously. Time for a quick break, because somebody's got to keep the lights on around here. But we'll be right back. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. But yeah, I mean, it's like what you're saying, you know, the rituals involved in religion that, you know, the, the purpose is to, in a way, it's like theater. It's like setting the scene, having these beautiful buildings that are awe-inspiring, chanting, singing, repeating the same words over and over again. So it's this ritualistic thing. And then all of that being mimicked by tech companies and you know it intentionally it's not a mistake it's like this is the way to get people to be online as much as possible to communicate online as much as possible to throw ideas out as much as possible that are going to draw other people in and so yeah and it you know it all goes back to all the stuff that was happening in the book and i don't think he was the first person to come up with those ideas but you know just um predicting the way that technology would advance that kind of thinking was pretty, pretty incredible. The kind of accuracy I was, I, um, I've spoken to someone recently about Blade Runner and it's the same kind of stuff where I can remember like watching that movie as a kid and being like, video calls, can you imagine? It's like, you know, the most, I mean, look at us right now, the most commonplace thing. And there are so many things. I read a review of Snow Crash where somebody was like, yeah, you may read it and be like, oh God, what a cliche. He's talking about the metaverse. And it's like, at the time, this was a completely new concept. And, um, you know, people had maybe talked about similar things, but his framing of it was uh, completely unique. So yeah, really forward thinking and uh, kind of prescient. Yeah, yeah. I think the kind of question becomes like, how can, it's not like how do you convince people that they're being corralled, but how do you kind of give people the tools to corral each other or like corral themselves, you know? And I think that's what social media like doesn't want. Even like, you know, I know I'm a musician. I'm supposed to have some sort of fealty to uh, Spotify and don't show this to the Spotify gods, I guess. But, you know, it's, 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 it's a little weird having just like music given to you and just like pushed toward, to push to you, you know? I used to spend hours on music blogs hours on combing the internet for music that felt important to me now you take the the inclusion out of it you take like the kind of like connection out of it 
And when it's like given to you, you get corralled into a certain space to have a specific experience. And now we're all having like really similar experiences. And I don't think those experiences are really fortuitous. It's, it's kind of like, oh man, I don't want to upset anyone. But it's kind of like in, in like ancient Rome, you know, like 95% of the people were poor. But then like once in a while you get someone like Pliny the Elder or like in ancient Greece, like everyone was poor and like dying and destitute. But once in a while you'd get an Aristotle because like the resources were so concentrated into certain spaces that like once in a while you have this like giant spike of intellectual giganticism or something. And that doesn't happen anymore because everyone is educated kind of on this like low level. It's like, you know, and wherever everyone's getting like a modicum. And I don't mean that to say that we shouldn't be, everyone shouldn't go to public school. Like everyone should go to public school. We should be funding our public schools 400%. But there is just like the effects of certain systems. And I, and I feel like people who run social media companies don't want people to have um, really particular specific experiences. I think they run their businesses off the idea that it sounds dramatic, but like that people are forced out of their individuality into a space that they have curated and they have created and that they can kind of control. Right. And also encouraging the idea that there is no such thing as an expert, that everyone is an expert and opinion is the same as expertise. Jeez, that is a plague on our culture. That is like, yeah, wild idea. It's a, a, about making everybody feel as, you know, part of it is that idea of just sharing information, content being shared by as many people as can be shared because it gets more clicks and it makes more money for these big social media companies was the start of the problem. And then now that has encouraged everyone to feel like the only truth is the truth that they already agree with. They can never be proven wrong and they will not read anything that contradicts what they already believe. Even if the person who's told them this thing is some, you know, uh, guy in his basement somewhere who there's no context, there's no sources, it's not, you know, there's no uh, proof needed or cared about. And it just makes things, it makes it easier for people to continue to manipulate uh, and profit off of all of the things that are wrong with those concepts because it can't be stopped now. It's like the, you know, Pandora's box is open. And um, I don't know how we get back to a point where, like, you know, just just the idea of teaching kids critical thinking skills in school. Like I remember being little and it being like, you know, you read something in a book and you've got to consider the source. You've got to find where that information came from and really try to understand how this person got to that conclusion and why and whether there are other opinions about it or other, you know, whether there are facts that you can find that contradicts what this person is saying, blah, blah, blah. And it feels very much like that kind of thinking is not valued at all anymore. When I was living in India, there was a monk at this monastery. I was like, you know, sore from meditating. And he was like, yeah, like nobody in America squats. And I was they're like, your hips are all, are all trash. And I was just like, yeah, like, you don't squat. Like, why is that? Like, what's going on? And he's like, everyone wants to be a king in America. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, that's why you all shit on toilets. Because you want to sit, you need your little throne to pretend like you're not shitting. 
And I was like, whoa, dude. And he's like, then you put it through the system and it disappears and pretend it, it, it never happened. You ever uh, read uh, The Protestant Ethic? No. Max Weber came up with this idea called The Protestant Ethic. And the idea is that when the Calvinists came over and the Lutherans came over and all these Protestants fled religious persecution and basically wanted to set, it, set up their like fundamentalist paradise in America, they had this doctrine of the saved and the damned. And basically how it worked was that like, if you were, if you were rich and you were like doing great and life was chill, that meant that God loved you, you know, cause you were doing great. If you were poor, it kind of meant that you were not doing so great, that God was angry at you, that you're a sinner, that you deserve it. Fast forward 300 years, we're kind of still there. Rich people are looked at as godly and poor people are looked at as like they did something to deserve it. Right. And that kind of comes back to, you know, the roots of all this stuff that are happened with social media were already there in the idea of American exceptionalism and the idea of the American dream that it's like, you have to work hard and you will be rich, you'll be famous, whatever it is that you want. You just have to work hard. And if people don't get that, it means they're not working hard enough and there's something wrong with them. The system is perfect. And it's kind of an extension of that saying, you already have all the knowledge you need in the world inside of your brain. You don't need to let anybody else tell you that there is anything different than what you already know. And it's this like in, in, encouraging people to be incurious, encouraging people to, and you know, I, I think it can be a problem on, on all sides of the political spectrum, but in particular, when you're talking about somebody like Donald Trump, where convincing people, Jedi mind tricking people into thinking he has done nothing wrong, no matter what he says, even if he admits to the things that he's done wrong, everything that he does is right. And it's, you know, kind of 1984 stuff as well, that it's telling people that what they see and hear is is not reality. Is that the the virus right now? Is it this like anti-intellectual, self-aggrandizing kind of story that, you know, a big part of the country is is willing to tell themselves? And how do you get around that? How do you how do you reverse that? How do you how do you stop the virus? I guess that is uh the perfect place for Neil Stevenson to write a sequel to Snow Crash that solves all of these problems. And hopefully that will be as prophetic as this book has been. Come on, Neil. You're sleeping on us, Neil. Come on. I'll send him a little uh, DM after this and make sure he, he takes care of it. Great. But yeah, I, I, I think that's one of the big jobs of, of art, I think, are to give people real challenging self-reflective narratives to orient themselves with but it's like hard and like at the same time people just want to escape i don't want to upset anyone but like dance music is huge it's like coming back with such a fervor you know and it reminds me of of like the kind of disco reaction to folk music a little bit and to like soul and blues and like everyone was just like no dude we just need to fucking dance and like escape the Vietnam War and escape like the fucking Cold War and we need to just boogie. And it was a real cultural force that I think was like a real reaction to to like uh, the world at the time. And I think it's kind of coming around again where people are needing that or, or looking to escape 
and looking for music and art to really give them that. And at one time, I think you have to speak in a people in a language that people are going to understand. Otherwise, it's not going to matter what the hell you say. I also want to challenge people to engage and not just to escape. And, you know, I think this book goes some way to trying to kind of balance those things, like saying the idea of the metaverse existing because people don't want to deal with the reality of their lives is a good escape, but that there is also a reality to deal with at the same time. And the reality isn't going to get any better unless you deal with those problems in the real world that you can't handle everything in the virtual space. Yeah. And that's such a, such a cool piece of the book, how those two realities get like inextricably linked in a way that they, no one was kind of expecting. And it kind of takes even the reader kind of by surprise. Hero protagonist, such a wild name. But when hero, when hero protagonist like starts figuring out what he can do in the metaverse and what he can do in the real world and that it's like all kind of part of this one scheme that's, that's happening by all those, the mafia and, what, and whatnot. I don't know when people are going to have that, that idea when they're going to figure that out. Again, I think we put it all on Neil Stevenson. I agree. <laughs> sorry, sorry, buddy, you shouldn't have started this. All right, Neil. <laughs> anyway, I feel like that is a, a lovely and um, very uh, quite aggressive, actually, note to finish on, um, at least when it comes to Neil Stevenson. I hope he doesn't feel too put upon by, uh, well, he obviously is going to listen to this immediately. So <laughs> thank you so much. This has been really fun. Um, and yeah. it's a great book. And uh, yeah, I really, really liked uh, talking about it. It is a really wonderful book. I think it's an important one. Even though it's almost 40 years old at this point, it's never been more prescient of a, of a story for everyone to read and for everyone to kind of uh, see the current in. Yeah, agreed. All right. Well, thank you very much again. I, yeah. I really appreciate the time for me. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks again to Adrian for making time for me. Yolklore's debut album, Toward a Never-Ending New Beginning, is out this Friday, September 22nd. So check it out. Okay, quick spark of the week from me. I saw a movie called Cassandro this week, and it was really great. It is the true story of a gay wrestler named Saul Armandariz, who is played by Gael Garcia Bernal. In the movie, Armandariz uh, lives in El Paso, Texas, and crosses the border a lot to Ciudad Juarez in Mexico uh, to participate in wrestling matches. He initially wrestles under the name El Topo, and then he meets a new trainer who suggests he should compete as an Exotico. Exoticos are male wrestlers who perform in drag. So uh, he starts to compete as Cassandro the Exotico. And if you don't know the real story, just uh, see the movie. Um, I didn't have low expectations going into this, but I definitely wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did. Yeah, it really surprised me. Um, it's a movie that's done so sweetly and sensitively. And Gael Garcia Bernal is so, so fucking good in it. He is such a good actor. The whole cast is great, really. So go and see it when it comes out. All right. And that's about it for me this week. Please follow me on social media at Spark Parade. Please do your best to suck the last drops out of summer this weekend like a little seasonal vampire. And until next time, bye.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.